the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, David, because of fear, lies to the priest and makes some choices that don't go well for him. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 21 verse 5. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 21 verse 5. I think one of my favorite things to do in Bible study is to see something in the New Testament, reference something in the Old Testament, and figure out why. It's one of my favorite things to do because when you figure it out, it's like that whole passage of the New Testament just, it's like someone turned on the big, huge light and it makes so much more sense. It's why the Old Testament is so important. Certainly there are lessons in the Old Testament that stand alone. I'm not saying the only purpose of the Old Testament is to enlighten the new. That's not my point. But there are so many things in the New Testament that do not make sense unless you understand the Old Testament. It's why we teach the Old Testament. It's why we go through it, in addition to all of the wonderful principles that we can learn from it, too. But we see here that Jesus, it says, at the same time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the grain fields, and his disciples were hungry, and so they began to pluck the ears of the corn and to eat, which they were allowed to do. If you're walking through someone's field, you could eat from their food. So if they had apple trees, you could grab an apple. Now, what you couldn't do is take four apples and put them in your bag. But if you were hungry, and you, it was part of their, Israel's welfare system, if you were walking through their field, you could grab an apple and you could eat it, okay? And that's just how it worked. But when the Pharisees saw them doing this, they said unto them, Behold, your disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day, plucking the ears of corn, of grain, and then chewing on it. The, the ears of the grain, it would, it would almost make like a chewing gum type of a thing. And, uh, and, and they would eat it. And so they charged them, you're doing work. It's a Sabbath day. You're not allowed to do that. But Jesus said unto them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those that were with him? And how he entered into... The... I love what, what Jesus says here because he references David's lie without actually blasting David. He just references it. David had nobody with him. He had nobody with him. And I love how he says it here, how he phrases it. He says here, have you not read what David did? Singular David did when he was hungry, singular. And they that were with him. It's almost like he references, remember when David said he had a bunch of people with him and he wanted a bunch of food? Yeah, yeah, nobody forgets that event. David lied. But there's a lesson here, he says how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, 
neither for them that were with him, but only for the priests. He went and did this, is what he says, and it was okay. Even though David was in the wrong here, what he did was not wrong as far as eating that bread, which is what relates to this situation here. What's the point? I think a lot of people accuse Jesus, at least I thought this when I was a young believer too, that Jesus broke the Sabbath. Jesus never broke the Sabbath. He never violated God's Sabbath rules. However, Jesus did violate the rules which the religious leaders added to God's word. He did do that. And you know, it's important we understand this. When God gives us a command in his word, we must obey it, even if it means taking a more difficult path. To ignore one of God's commands because we're trying to be loving or gracious is wrong because grace is never a license to sin, period. But, and this is what Jesus is getting at here, legalism is equally wrong. When we add rules to God's command, it puts a burden on people that God never intended. And the Lord gets just as upset about that as he does when people use grace as a license to sin. Now, what's sad about what David does here is that instead of telling the truth, David takes advantage of Ahimelech's graciousness. Verse five. And David answered the priest and said unto him, of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common. Yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. And so the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from before the Lord to put the hot bread in the day when it was taken away. He says here, he says, well, if the men haven't been with women, they haven't been with their wives. And he goes, of a truth, which means, well, that's not the case. They, they haven't been with their wives. I know, they've been with me for the past three days, which... David's been alone hiding for the past three days. And the vessels of the young men are holy. I love how David, he spins this yarn even further. Not only is he sure that the men with him have not been with any women, but I am certain that the clothes that they're wearing right now are not from days before that when they were with women. These are brand new clothes. Brand new clothes. No emissions on them. And then David says this. And you know, The bread is in a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. This sentence is so hard to translate from Hebrew into English, but David is basically saying that, well, because God's anointed, the king, Saul, has sent me on this special mission, the mission is therefore holy because he's God's anointed. And therefore, my men are holy. So through David's logic, he basically puts him and his men on equal level with the dedicated bread, thus making the bread common, even though it was set apart for special use. That's what he's saying here, basically. I don't know if you've ever tried to logic your way through a lie to make it more convincing, not just to others, but to yourself. But that's exactly what David's doing here. And you know what's sad? Ahimelech didn't need all that convincing. He just needed to know they hadn't been with their wives. He had already offered the bread. But you know, that's the danger of lying, isn't it? To avoid detection, you and I have to insulate ourselves with all these other lies that prop up the initial lie. And thus a lie will always lead to more lies. It must, because that's the only way to maintain the initial lie. And so it says, David took the bread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. And so This is how we know that it was the Sabbath day when David came to do this. What Jesus tells us later on, we know it's a Sabbath day because that's the day they changed the bread. 
And it explains here that they had just put hot bread in, and so it was the leftover bread that the priest hadn't eaten from the previous week that David takes with him. Now, while David certainly sees this as a successful deception, what he doesn't know is that someone was watching the entire conversation. Look at verse 7. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. So Mr. Doge here, it mentions that he was the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. Uh, This is significant as the head of Saul's shepherds that he would have access to the king. In other words, he was the guy who reported to the king. He was in charge of the shepherds. He would have access to the king. And so noticing what's going on here, this wouldn't just be something that he could whisper to somebody else and maybe it might get to the king. He could go straight to the king with this information when the king is wondering where David is. Now, why is he here? It mentions he was detained before the Lord. The phrase they're detained, it means someone who had been committed to the custody of the priests. It doesn't tell us why. It's possible he had contracted leprosy or some other skin disease and he was being inspected by the priest today like he had done his time you know away for his cleansing and now he's coming to be inspected that's possible um, it's also possible that he was a proselyte since he's an edomite here and edomites are not allowed to come into the tabernacle so it's possible i think i don't remember what the generations is um, but it's possible he's there because he's a proselyte and he's undergoing the rites of circumcision and all the other things to become a jew Um, We cannot know for sure why he's there, but he's at the tabernacle for an extended period of time to be examined by the priest for some reason. And you know what I I think is so, I think it's so enlightening. All of David's hard work to protect himself was worthless, wasn't it? All the hard work, all the lies, all the lies within lies, they were all worthless because this guy sees David with the priest. And while David may escape immediate danger, he ends up putting others in grave danger. It's interesting. There are a few things that David actually verbalizes that he regrets that he did. This is one of the things that David regrets that he did. He goes, this is my fault. Because when we get to chapter 22, something happens to these priests because of David's lie. But because all of this is unknown to David right now, we'll get to Doeg the Edomite later on. But because all this is unknown to David right now, he decides to press further by asking for a weapon. Look at verse 8. And David said unto Ahimelech, and is there not here under, I mean, thanks for the food. That's what the end here means. But I have another request. Is there not here under your hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. David is weaponless because he's been hiding for three days behind a rock, I think is what Jonathan mentioned. He couldn't go home. He couldn't go to any of Saul's armors because he's a fugitive. Where's he going to get a weapon? And he explains, though, (laughs) the reason I don't have a weapon is because the king's business required haste. Being a, I always say I should have been born in Missouri, the show me state, because I'm suspicious by nature. It's only Jesus that has allowed me to trust anybody. But being suspicious by nature, this is the point where I would have started to question David's honesty. It's hard to imagine that the king's mission would be so urgent that one of Israel's highest-ranking generals would leave with zero weapons. But Ahimelech is fully deceived, and he offers David an interesting option. The priest said, Well, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you slew in the valley of Elah, behold, it's here, wrapped in a cloth right behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. 
for there is none other save that here. And David said, well, there's none other like that. Give it to me. David asked for a sword and, and the priest goes, you know, funny should ask, isn't God good? Goliath swords here. That's what behold means. Behold. He says here, the priest said, the sword of Goliath the Philistine whom you slew in the valley of Elah, behold. I can't imagine you're asking me for this sword. Can you imagine the coincidence? God's so cool. That's basically what the priest is saying here. And David's response is likewise. Yeah, there's none like that. God is faithful. Couldn't ask for a better sword than that. It's not a very good moment for David. I think there's another part of scripture. It's escaping me now, the exact details. But there's a time when someone asks a question of somebody. I think it's Jacob. And and he says, oh, well, the Lord gave me favor. That's how this happened. When he's just lying. It's a similar moment for David here. Not a very good one. But decisions made when my heart is ruled by fear are never good moments. They are selfish and short-sighted moments. I love what David Goodzik said. He said, David can have the sword of Goliath in his arsenal, but he would have been better equipped if he had the faith that killed Goliath. Alan Redpath, very wise man. He said this, David lost confidence in God and in fulfillment of God's purpose for his life, which had been revealed to him. He lost confidence in all of that. He went to God's house for comfort and help and guidance, but he was detected as being wrong in his soul, the fear that Ahimelech felt. Redpath goes on to say, instead of acknowledging the truth to the only one who could help him and confessing that he had been telling a lie, he ran for his life again. And truthfully, how is David going to use this weapon? We've already got measurements on these things. Normal people can't use this thing. It's made for a giant. Well, I can't be sure. But what it appears to be is that a very foolish plan had begun to form in David's mind when Ahimelech told him about Goliath's sword. One that caused him to think that there might be a possibility he could find asylum in the land of the Philistines. And so in verse 10, it says, And David arose, and he fled that day for fear of Saul, and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, remember what did Jonathan tell him when he gave him the bad news? He said, go in peace. Go in shalom. You're going to be okay. Go in peace. But does David go in peace? No, he goes. He says here, he arose and fled that day for what? The peace that was in his heart? For fear of Saul. David rejected faith in Jonathan's blessing and he embraced his fears instead. And where does David go? He goes to Goliath's hometown, Gath. And he gets there. It doesn't tell us here. It tells us in the, the subscript of Psalm 56, which David writes after all, chapter 21's done. We'll get to that as we close. But it tells us that the Philistines captured him. David's a man of war. I mean, this is someone who knows how to evade capture. So he got captured somehow, which means either he was trying to run and got caught, or he turned himself in. And it mentions here that he's brought before the king. 
The scriptures don't tell us why David goes to Gath with Goliath's weapon. But when he revealed his identity, there is no way he would not be searched. And I can't imagine the Philistines would be happy to see Goliath's sword on the person of David. Unless, unless, David was hoping to use it as proof of his genuine defection. Perhaps David believed he could win their favor by returning the weapon of their former champion. Whatever the motive this was in David's heart, (laughs) it was a very bad decision. One that David realizes when he appears before the king. Look at verse 11. And the servants of Achish said unto him, so David's brought before the king, and they're discussing what do we do? He, He wants to defect. And the servants of Achish said unto him, is not this David the king of the land? Isn't that interesting? It's interesting that the Look at why they say this. Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens thousands? Isn't it interesting that the Philistines interpreted the song the same way Saul did? Isn't that interesting? Listen, when your approach or my approach to things is more in common with the world than it does with God's word, that's a sign we need to repent. When we're thinking the way the world does, that's a sign we need to turn it around. Is not this David the one that did all this? Look at verse 12. And David laid up these words in his heart, and he was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. I am blown away by how many heart references there are in the book of 1 Samuel. What does it mean to lay up something in your heart? The word there means to place, to actually lay down, to set beside. Set beside what? All the other fears that were already ruling David's heart. He sees what they're talking about. He sees how the discussion's going. And David begins to take all these new fears and lay them side by side with all the other ones. David was in this spot because of his fears. And now he sets these new worries right next to all the other fears that have been ruling his heart. Now, is that how we're supposed to handle fearful thoughts? No. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It instructs us, commands us, tells us the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So what are we to do? How do we wage war spiritually? We cast down imaginations. Imaginations, what's an imagination? It's our thoughts, thoughts that originate from us. Cast down imaginations, first thing. And we're also to cast down every high thing, the word that means every proud thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Everything that I've learned that I know about God to be true, when a proud thought arises in my mind, it rises in my heart that says, no, that's not true. This is actually what's going on. What God says isn't true. What I feel, what I think is true. We're to take any just thoughts that pop in our heads, any proud thoughts that are rising up in our hearts against what we know to be true about God, and we're to bring all of those into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We're to put them in jail. They're not allowed to bounce around our head. That's how fear begins to rule our hearts. When we don't guard our hearts through the word of God, through the peace of God, and we allow thoughts to bounce around our head, proud thoughts that go against what God's word said, or imaginations, thoughts about what might happen that are unknowns. When we allow them to bounce around our heads, they begin to take a ruling place in our hearts. And we're not supposed to allow that. We're supposed to take them captive. David is a mess right now. He's laying down thought after thought after thought, that imagination and 
proud thoughts that exalt themselves against what he knows about the Lord, what God has promised him already. And so because David didn't take those thoughts captive, but he let those fearful thoughts strengthen the rule in his heart, David comes up with another awful deception. Verse 13, and we'll read these verses, then we're going to close with Psalm 56. It says, when David responded in fear, it says he changed his behavior before them, and he feigned himself mad in their hands. The word there, to feign oneself mad, it means to think and act in an irrational manner, to act like a fool. What was he doing? It says he scrabbled on the doors of the gate. So he, he starts with his finger, starts like he's trying to carve things into the gate. Taking the hands that God gave him for war, God gave him for worship, and very likely causing cuts and, and, and all sorts of other things to occur as he's trying to carve things into the, into the wood of the gate. And he also let spittle fall down upon his beard. No man in the right mind, I like my beard. I'm not like a beard like fanatic, though. And if you are, that's okay. I know some of you take care of your beard very well. That's fine. But no one, no one knew how to take beard care to the level that those in the Middle East do. It's an incredible dishonor to have things like food in your beard, to, to not care for your beard, to have someone else cut your beard for you. And so for David to allow spittle, saliva, drool to be in his beard is something that most men in the Middle East, I would dare say almost all men would rather die than have that happen. And so this causes Achish, verse 14, to say unto his servants, Lo, see, this man is crazy. He's nuts. No, no man in his right mind would allow that to happen to his beard. Why then have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you've brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? He's not defecting here. Get him out of here. And so David, verse 1, chapter 22, just to give you context, therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave Adullam. And then we'll pick that up next. Now, what's the point? Psalm 56. What happens after David leaves Gath and in between the time that he gets to the cave of Adullam? Psalm 56. This is David's response to doing things his own way, to letting his heart be ruled by fear. And if you've been letting your heart be ruled by fear, I would really strongly encourage you to read Psalm 56, pray the things that are here, because this is the way out. This is the fresh start for your heart, is right here in Psalm 56. It's what David should have done at the start. He says, be merciful unto me, O God. Why would David lie? It's unfair, God. It's wrong. I should not be in this place. I, this is wrong for me to be treated this way. David's not wrong. But when we're wronged, we're supposed to appeal to the Lord's mercy, right? She says, this is where he should have started. Be merciful unto me, not take it into his own hands. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresses me. My enemies would daily swallow me up. For they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. 
But the reason now he is saying, God, be merciful unto me. Look at verse 3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in you. This is where David started to find healing for his heart. He didn't ignore the fact that he was terrified. But what he said with it was, is Lord, I will, which means I'm making a choice now to do something different than let my heart be ruled by fear. I'm going to trust in you. And how does he do that? In God, I will praise his word. In God, I will put my trust. And I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. My encouragement to you is read the rest of the psalm because there's tons of good stuff in there. But start trusting in God's word. Stop fearing what flesh can do to you. Hope in his mercy instead of fairness or anything else. Rest in the peace of God. It's better than understanding. And keep sailing because Jesus is going to get to the other side. Amen? Well, Lord, you are good and your love never fails towards us. Your mercy endures forever. Your chesed, your loyal love, it endures forever. And Lord, would you settle all of our hearts that we might be men and women whose hearts are ruled by you and by your love and not fear. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.